It has been a privilege to share with you. It's four weeks. I've really enjoyed doing it. I hope you've enjoyed coping with it. Um, I think the psalmist says at one place, I rejoiced at your word like one who finds great spoil or treasure. He finds a treasure in the word of God, you know. And um, I find that to be true. Um, and I know it's true for all of us. That, uh, and Jesus prays, doesn't he? Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And I've been praying latterly that the word of God would set me apart. In other words, sanctify me. Set me apart for his use. Sanctify them by your word, prayed Jesus. For those who follow him. Your word is truth. So the word of God as we absorb it, because we're absorbing, we're absorbing Jesus, aren't we? The Word reveals a person, all of it. And um, that's what we absorb. And um, it thrills me to read at the end of Luke's Gospel where Jesus appears to those two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And they realised after a while, when they broke bread with him, who he was, of course, and then he disappeared. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? when he opened up the scriptures. And of course they saw in the scriptures, or their knowledge of the scriptures, all of a sudden they saw that this resurrected Jesus was the person who brought life to it all. Was the person who brought meaning to it and spiritual dynamic to it. Uh, whereas it had been just good stuff before in the way by, by which they tried to live and usually failed. All of a sudden it became a person. And there was a heart burning that went on. So God says in Malachi 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, you're not destroyed. In other words, you're still around. You remember at the beginning, he was talking about Edom, Esau, and Jacob, he loved Jacob, which is Jacob here he's speaking to. But Esau, it says he hated. In other words, Esau had no regard for him and the Lord loved him less than he did Jacob because Esau had no response to God. (laughs) And it says, you're not destroyed. You're still around, Jacob. But Edom, who came from Esau, the land of Edom, was destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And how true that is, when sometimes we do go awry from the things of God and find ourselves spiritually dishevelled, as it were. It's because we've got away, it isn't because God has. And this is always the way, and God always invites us, doesn't he? Return to me and I will return to you. And it's like Jesus, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. If you're a bit weary and heavy laden this morning, the Lord invites us, as Joel's been leading us, he invites us to come to him and I will give you rest. Just as by the Spirit, Malachi is speaking words of God. Return to me. 
and I will return to you. And then they go on to speak about tithes, or this is the way in which God is being robbed because the Israelites now, the people of Judah, are withholding tithes. If you remember a couple of weeks back, we looked at the agreement that was made by Judah with Nehemiah. An important part of that agreement, it was written down in Nehemiah chapter 10, was that Israel honoured the tithe. In other words, the gift that they gave to God. And certainly in, in, in the sense of the Old Covenant, the tithe that was generally considered to be in the region of 10%, uh, and the tithe was given to support the tabernacle, support what had become the temple by then, and to support the sacrificial system, through which, by the shedding of the blood of animals, the people were always able to make relationship with God for their sin, for their guilt, and they were able to have fellowship with God for their peace. Every aspect of the people's well-being was made good by the sacrificial system, and that was enabled by the tithes of the nation. And then they were tied to the Levites who lived in their own towns um, and give to them. And the Levites would give 10% of all that they received from the people to the treasury in Jerusalem. So that was the way the nation worked. Just the same as our nation worked by taxes. We've got to pay taxes. Uh, we don't always like the idea of paying taxes, but it sustains the nation. Uh, but the thing is, when the tithes of Israel were different, in essence, the tithes of Israel were given because they had relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. And those tithes were, were given to support the things of God, as well as to support the others in the townships or in the treasury of the nation which was always in the black, always in the black. The nation never had debt as long as they tithed in the way that they've been told to do so under the law of God. What a difference we live in today, don't we? We're in almost every nation living with crippling debt, uh, the way things are at the moment. Because obviously when we pay taxes, there's no relationship. I don't have a relationship with anybody in HMRC. You know, you pay, you pay them out of duty. And if you can avoid them, it's not illegal. The less tax we pay, the better off we feel. But Israel's tithing was totally different. It was based on relationship. And it was given out of love and support and as the country did that, the Lord, he says, return to me, I will return to you. He did his part. He kept pests away from the nation. He saw to it that the climate was good, so that the harvest prospered. He saw to it that the economy was sound. As the nation trusted him and supported the other person. Supported the Levites, who of course had no inheritance. They lived in each of the towns in the nation. But of course, Israel was failing that. 
He was failing to do that, or Judah was failing to do that. And as we read through this passage, he, the nation even begin to speak lies into its own being. It speaks deception in the things of God because she's been unfaithful to the things of God. So the nation says it's futile to serve God in verse 14. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. It's a horrible misconception as to what, what the Lord actually wants to do. And it's, it's a spiritual deception. It's futile to serve God. Where in actual fact, it's the most rich blessing to actually serve God. But the nation was in that place, in such a place, and we may think that we're spiritually asleep at the moment. But my word, Israel or Judah, as she was by now, was seriously walking away from her relationship with God at this time. And instead of being generous in the way that she gave, was miserly and self-seeking. But the good news, next verse, friends, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. No matter how bad the situation is, spiritually speaking, in a nation, there's always a remnant. There are always some people who are listening, hearing, and responding. And this is the good news here. Those who feared the Lord, there's a remnant of Judah that does listen to God, does fear him, and does respond. They listen and they hear. And there's a scroll of remembrance written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. I don't know that this is exactly the Lamb's Book of Life, but the names of those who fear him are written down. And they're written down permanently in the book of the Lamb. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. In other words, God showing them his fatherly nature, his father's heart even though they've been so small a group. A bit, I looked at the population of Bali. I don't know if you've seen the um, book, The History of Bali. traces thousand years of history, hundred years by hundred years, from you know, 1,000 to 2,000. And uh, just look particularly at the present population. Uh, I suppose it's about... 211 census, 2011 population was down at about 1300 or just over and let's say there's a bit of an increase let's say it's 1500 now in the village and how many 
are actually attending church. It's a thin morning, but how many are attending church? It's a remnant. But God can turn things around by a remnant. And it's lovely, isn't it? And that's what he had here. Really, if we say that, how many of us here? Ten? But this is, a, a, let's say normally, I, I don't know what the number of people is um, who worship here at full strength. How many would it be? Anybody, any idea? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay, let's say twenty-five. And let's say there are twenty-five down at um, St. Mary. So that makes fifty. So, you know, you're talking about five percent, something in that region. Let's say that we're talking about something approaching 5%. It's a remnant. But God can work with that remnant. He can work with those few people he has to turn the situation around. He says, you are my treasured possession. And that's what God wants, isn't it? He's looking for people he, he was back in the Exodus just before the law was given. The Lord says to to Moses, this nation of people who I will build up, I'm going to make them my kings and priests. If they're obedient, if they keep to my covenant, I'm going to make them my holy nation. They will be my treasured possession. Same phrase. And Malachi here says, the Lord is making up his treasured possession. And as we come to him, as we respond to his voice, hear him, respond, we're part of that treasured possession. He's pulling together a group of people from every tribe, tongue and nation who will worship him, who will be his holy nation. And this is what God is about, isn't it? He's pulling together a people who will worship him. And Jesus said, didn't he, to the woman at the well, remember that God is spirit. And he's seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking them, present tense. It's an ongoing search. And our task is to search with him. To bring other believers to that place where they too can respond to the place of worship. Even, even in Revelation, John, as he begins to speak out um, that remarkable book of prophecy, he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. So it's the same thought. Remember that Moses was saying, this nation is going to be for God, a nation of kings and priests. If they obey my covenant, they will be a holy nation. Israel, of course, never was able to respond in any full measure to that revelation. But God is still looking to accomplish the same thing, and John makes the same statement. He's made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Says John in Revelation as he begins 
to write down what he's seen. And you will see again the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. I talked a bit about that last week, that there will be a sharp distinction before the end of this age between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The righteous are the ones who serve him, and those the scripture describes as wicked are the ones who do not. Which just bridges over into chapter 4. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Pretty strong statement. John Baptist actually, when, when he was speaking about Jesus just before he actually baptised him, uh, remember he said, I'm not worthy to undo the thongs that tie up his sandals. But he didn't, he didn't leave it at that. He also said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he would clear, clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. That's us being gathered into his barn. But he said the wicked, he would burn like, like chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, amazing statement because yes, it expressed the earthly ministry of Jesus. But really it looked on way beyond that into what would happen at the time of the end. And Jesus expressed that himself when he was telling the parable of the weeds. Do you remember that parable of the weeds? And Jesus said, this will happen at the end of the age when all those who are wicked will be burned up, as it were, in that, that final fire of judgment. But then he says, the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of the Father. And he sees that picture of the sun, just as Malachi sees it here. Lovely the way these, the parable and the prophecy have that connection. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. A beautiful, a beautiful verse. I remember we used to, back in Whiteleaf near Caton, before Easter time for a couple of weeks, we'd usually take that as a, a time for a good time for outreach. And we'd prayer walk and we'd hand out tracts and we'd carry the cross with us and did that type of activity as an outreach, as a, as a prayer for the community. And on the final time we did it, we did a sunrise service. And we looked over, it was a high, high piece of ground, we looked over to the east and we saw the sun rising about 6.30 on Easter Sunday morning coming up. And we're able to sing those words for you who fear my name. Sing that over the community. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And it, it, was, it was a lovely way as we saw the rising sun on Easter Sunday morning to express that in a sense of prophecy over the, the community as it lay beneath us from that high point in which we were singing. 
The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And it's still to be fulfilled in the greatest measure is this. Yes, it happened in the earthly ministry of Jesus. But there's still a time when Jesus will come again that the prophet is speaking about here. He's speaking about a day of judgment which has not happened yet. The arrogant, the evil have not been judged in a total sense. But he says, you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. You'll trample down the wicked. They will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. So that day has not happened to this extent. Malachi was seen right beyond the time of the church into the final judgment. And he says, remember Moses, remember the law that he gave in Sinai, remember the prophet Elijah, um, because there will be that prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And these two, as Malachi speaks of Moses and Elijah here, remind me of the two witnesses that uh, John saw in the Revelation who were speaking into the nation or into the city of Jerusalem. But also, I think as we read that, we're justified in thinking that the ministry of those two individuals in that last hour of time was affecting and being taken note of in the whole world. There's a sense of the mercy of God going out as those two witnesses who are in the in the nature of Moses and Elijah um, were speaking out their final words of prophecy and doing the miraculous as we read in Revelation 11 in a remarkable way making that same way available for people still to repent even in the last days. I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And this is the lovely word of promise. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. It's a, a remarkable way in which the Old Testament finishes its prophetic voice. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Jesus says at the end times there will be an increase of hatred. People will be betraying each other and unfaithful to each other. And sociology or society will effectively be falling apart. And Paul says a similar thing as he writes to Timothy. He says in the second letter, mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of, them, of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents. Note that in particular, what, uh, the context of Malachi's prophecy about turning the hearts of the father to children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That will come at a time of society's breakdown when the Lord finally sweeps through the land with his spirit and turns the hearts of those who are seeking him, hears their prayers and brings many to a saving faith. I do believe that many will be brought to a saving faith before it's too late. I do believe that the Lord will hear many prayers that we've lifted, sometimes for our family, sometimes for our friends, for our community, for our nation. I believe you will hear those prayers and there will be a response in the hearts of some to his saving grace. Just cross-reference that, if you would, the final prophecy prophecy of Malachi in chapter 4. Cross-reference that, you would, with Isaiah 59. Because the prophet here, Isaiah in this case, he's seeing a very similar picture. And of course Isaiah prophesied 250, 300 years before Malachi did. But he too, in this particular passage, is seeing the time of the end. And he says in Isaiah 59, just into verse 15, if you're looking it up, Isaiah 59, just into verse 15. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He looked, as it were, on society, as Paul was describing it there to Timothy in the last days. And the Lord looks at the dreadful state of affairs that's going on across the earth. And he sees that there's no one, he's appalled that there was no one to intervene. So he does it himself. So his own arm works salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustains him. Jesus, when he comes again, will complete that work of our salvation. He died for our sin, but he will come again a second time to bring salvation, it says, to those who are waiting for him. His own arm work salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. From the west down to verse 19 men will fear the name of the Lord and from the rising of the sun again that picture of the rising sun they will revere his glory for he will come like a pent up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. I don't much like that version that the NIV has The old one says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. He's going to give the enemy room to do his worst in the last days. He will will give the enemy space to deceive and to entrap men into his deception. He's going to give him space to do that. But he says... When the enemy comes in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard 
against him. In the sense that we're worshipping this morning, in the sense that every day we give our lives over to the Lord in worship, we're joining with the Lord's standard. We're lifting a standard against the enemy. We're not allowing him to deceive us with distorted thinking like Israel did or like Judah did at the time of Malachi and as she did on so many other occasions. We are his treasured possession. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? The Lord is seeking people. He's looking for people who will worship him. And then he says, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And there will be many in Jacob, in Israel, who repent of their sins. Just as there are many, I believe, of all the other nations who will repent of their sins. Now this is the final bit. As for me, this is my covenant with them. Remember Malachi spoke so much about the covenant. And Isaiah says, this is my covenant. Speaking 250, 300 years before Malachi. My spirit, who is on you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. What an undertaking that is. He misses a bit about curse because he's not speaking as Malachi was in the prophetic edge where there is a, a negative <laughs> You know, that Malachi needs to mention. If you take no notice, you'll be under curse. But Isaiah here is speaking blessing and focusing on blessing and saying, I put my spirit on you. And that same spirit will be spoken out of your mouth. And your children will take notice. And their descendants will take notice. And the nation as well as many other nations, will be changed.